The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Very interesting uh, guest today. (laughs) Not sure um, where this is going to go, but I know where we're going to start. And he has a very interesting story. His name is Dr. Caldoun Swice. He's an author and lecturer. His um, uh, log line, so to speak, is logically faithful, examining the beliefs that drive us. Um, we, he, is a, he has a Ph.D. in philosophy of mind from the University of Hull in the United Kingdom. He's a Jordanian-born Arab-American educated in Britain. He's currently an associate professor of philosophy. And um, he has written three books, uh, Killing God, Addressing the Best Arguments from the New Atheists, Debating Christian Theism, and, and Christian Apologetics, an Anthology of Primary Sources. Now, don't let all that scare you. <laughs> He's a down-to-earth guy, even though he talks about heaven. Um, and he has a very interesting personal story which I thought we were going to start or that we were going to start talking about in regard to the death of his son, um, which gave him the calling to assist others through similarly agonizing struggles of life and um, by helping them to recognize their faith and um, to, that even when it seems like God has abandoned you, that really he hasn't. So, uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Swice. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. So now, as I started to say, I thought we were going to start with the, um, the death of your son and mm-hmm. how that led into what you then subsequently did. That was in 2006. Um, but, but just talking before we got on, you mentioned something uh, that started in your life earlier that is significant. So why don't we start with that? Oh, sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. The, uh, the process of thinking and questioning started way early. When I was around, uh, when I first came to the United States with my family, we immigrated from Jordan, and I was a very inquisitive child. I asked so many questions, I drove my parents crazy, and then my teachers became my next victims uh, when I was in class, and they actually put a sign on my desk that said, I can only ask five questions an hour. Uh, 
Oh, my um, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that really made uh, increase my intellectual capacity to deeply uh, think about exactly what I can ask and to be succinct in how I ask it. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, that led me in a, in a, on a journey of intellectual journey uh, into myself, into digging deep, digging deep into the questions of life and why we're doing these types of things. What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of that? Um, and I realized later on, in, as I went into college, that there's actually a career into this called philosophy. They actually get paid doing this, <laughs> uh, which was amazing to me. But the process actually led me when I was in uh, around 14 or 15 years old. Uh, my parents were uh, uh, Christians from the Middle East, a minority of Christians, very faithful. Uh, we, um, we struggled in that region uh, economically, spiritually, uh, so we immigrated to the States. In that period of time, I had come to a, a point where I was thinking so much that questions had become powerful for me on an existential level, on a spiritual level, on an experiential level of what's the point of life. Uh-huh. Uh, I began to question that at a, at, a, at a level that drove me to despair because all the answers I've been hearing from my secular colleagues, from my friends and others around me, um, were that life is just living day by day, and at the end of the day, you will die. You will become worm food. You will decompose. And, uh-huh. and I yeah, needed very, some very, solid yeah, answers from my spiritual guy, Kylie, colleagues and friends, and, but they weren't giving any to me, so that led me to a pit of despair. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just back up for a second. How old were you when you came to America? I was around six years old. Okay. Five, five or six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I remember uh, they asked me some questions, uh, uh, like who was the first president of the United States. I still remember my answer. Yeah. <laughs> George Washington, I yelled out, although uh, I got my citizenship there. That was, uh-huh. that was an amazing experience. Anyway, when I was around 14 or 15, what I was saying was uh, I was going through a deep period of questioning of my faith. I wanted to know answers to why I believed what I believed, and I wasn't getting anything from my faith community. Uh-huh. And my secular community wasn't helping me much either. Uh-huh. Uh, I was on a bed of suicide. I uh, picked up a knife. It was a survival knife, a uh, Rambo knife to be precise, from the Sylvester Stallone series. Oh, wow, yeah. That was very big at the time. Uh, I held that knife. It was a fascinating blade. It had a compass on the back. And then when you could open it up, it had a bunch of survival gear. And I really wanted to end it all. I did, what's the point of this? No matter how successful I am, no matter how much I rise on the echelons of society, I will not overcome death. Uh-huh. <sighs> Sadly, when you're in a state like that, you don't see anything but yourself. Um, and maybe if your listeners are thinking about something like this, uh, going that route, uh, please reconsider. Think of the repercussions on those who, you, who love you will find you afterwards. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, the, the, the damage suicides can do is generational, to say the least. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I actually heard the radio come on in my room. I do not remember turning it on. Uh, honestly, I do not. And a man began to talk about true life, true grace found in God and Christ. Uh, for the first time in my life, I heard what is called the gospel. I fell on my knees and I asked God, if you even exist, if you really do, then change me, save me from myself. And at that point, I, I felt an overwhelming sense of peace, um, fear, rapture, um, a revelation. Uh, we call it theophany in theology. Um, and I, I, I just rose up 
tears. I felt a big burden lift off my shoulders. Uh, I began to pray for the first time deeply. Um, I went to church for the first time in my life, and that changed my life. That was, um, I had a, a complete shift, a paradigm shift, where I had actually a tunnel at the end was darkness. Now I had actually light, a purpose. That huh. There is something more to life than just death. Matter of fact, what that is what actually makes death meaningful, makes life meaningful, that there is something more to life than just the physical. Yes. So, wait, so before you were 15, 14, even though your parents were Christians, they didn't go to church? You had never gone to church? Well, we did go uh, on a sporadic position, uh, Christmas, Easter, death, uh-huh. burial, weddings, etc. Yeah. Yeah, that was a standard. Because most people in the religious perspective do that mm-hmm. after a while. Mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm. was the standard. But it wasn't anything deeper for me on a, on a, on a personal level. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, and so um, after that moment, um, and then when you, you, know, com- you compounded that by actually going to church, you, so, so how were you different? Like how did people see, looking at you see that you were different or couldn't they tell by looking at you? Well, it was an inner transformation that can be seen in what you do and what you say and how you uh, uh, act. And right. Just the look on your face is showing that there's purpose to someone's life. Um, and you know that in studying psychology, uh, you can tell a lot about people by the things they say from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I, I didn't have any purpose. Now that I had purpose, it actually transformed me. I had a reason to continue doing my work. My math didn't become as boring anymore. The orange juice tasted a lot better. Huh. <laughs> I was able huh. to pursue the goals I had because I knew that these goals were not going to end with me just in the grave, but there is a lot more to life than just that. Uh, so it gave me a deeper purpose, a longer-lasting uh, perspective on, on issues. It's that perspective, that, that thought pattern that changed uh-huh. And did you have, I mean, besides this sort of, this, this crisis um, of not, of there seeming to be no point in life, uh, presumably you also had something in your life change, I mean, before, be, before you um, planned on killing yourself, um, like, was there some big disappointment or some loss, or there must have been something that sort of kicked this into gear, yeah, usually when you study these types of cases, you find a slow progression uh, uh-huh. into something that, that leads to that type of uh, uh, catastrophic uh, choice. Right. But for me, me, it wasn't like that. I, 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 I wasn't depressed. I wasn't um, uh, clinically psych- uh, going through psychosis of some type or of some type. I, I was just a normal kid who was trying to fit in, uh, but I thought at a deeper level, much more so that got me into trouble. Uh, because I wasn't just accepting the superficial answers of go ahead, get your degree, and move on. Uh, find a girl, get married, uh, and that's it. No, mm-hmm. I, I, what, what's the point of it all? What, what, why? What, what, yeah. What's, what's going to be the end result? I will end up dead. And, and I just thought about that so much that when my uncle, um, uh, my uncle died uh, it was a few months before that, yeah. it, it became real to me seeing him actually in the, when they buried his body. Mm. Um, it just became more real, very powerful to me saying, wow, that's where we're all ending up. What's uh-huh. the point of it all if that's all we're going to? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. Yeah, yes. so it was a, more of an intellectual struggle for me than a, than a psychological one. And, um, well, when I was a kid, I used to try to comfort myself by saying that uh, by the time 
uh, as I get older, before before I die, they will find a, a cure for death. <laughs> there won't be any more death. That's how I dealt with it. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you were pretty creative, were you? But, yeah. Um, yeah. So when I found out that, that Christ actually conquered death, he actually rose from the dead, and that's what Easter is about. Yeah. That those who trust and believe in him uh, will not die either. In that sense, that we be able to be raised from the dead uh, theologically um, later on at the resurrection is what we call it. Yes. Yeah. And yes, that gave me hope. An, that's another way of, of yes, finding some, some hope and meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so did anyone, did, but, oh, where, were you, where did you live at that time? Uh, we were uh, in Hollywood, California. Oh, really? And, in Hollywood. So, <laughs> that's right. Um, and, and then we moved from there to the Chicagoland area where I, where I grew up and began to grow and develop and annoy more people with my questions. But I mean, when you were 14, when this all happened, you were in Hollywood. Uh, we were transitioning from California to New Mexico. No, I, we ended up in Chicago where it actually happened. The, oh, um, okay. The, the, uh, the transition from life to, okay. to new life inside me. So, okay. So I guess that was kind of stressful too, moving. But, um, I mean, did you, and, and did you find any, um, was there any, you know, like you said that they put that sign on your desk. Um, were you having any trouble fitting in, you know, being um, Jordanian born? Was that part of it? Like, like where did you fit in this, in this world, no less the next world? Right. Well, like any immigrant child, you try to fit into a new world, new country, new language, a new paradigm. So it was a struggle for me as much as it was for many others. But for me, it was a, on a deeper level where I wasn't just um, not just wanting to fit in, but I wanted to figure out what's the purpose of fitting in. Mm-hmm. What would I uh, get out of it? What, what's the point of it all? Mm-hmm. And then that, mm-hmm. that's the part that I struggle with on an existential level, on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I, uh, you know, I'm an only child, and so when I went to school uh, for the first time, when I went to kindergarten, um, mm-hmm. that kind of set me on a path of becoming a psychiatrist because here all of a sudden there were all these other little kids in my class and I wanted to figure out what made them tick um, <laughs> to to figure out how to fit in, how to get people to like me, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's um, things that happen when we are very young uh, have far-reaching effects on our lives. That's one of the, one of the lessons that this shows. Well, okay. Right, so right, right. I, I hear you. There's so much that happened to me as a young child that I just looking back now, I can see where I am. Um, even choosing teaching as a career, I thought I was doing it to help people become better and inspire others, which is true on one level. But on a deeper level, I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't just this immigrant kid in the back of the classroom that was not accepted by his, by his peers. Uh-huh. That I wanted to prove to myself that I could be what they told me I couldn't be. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I wanted to fulfill that desire that I was told I couldn't do. Yes, but that's exactly. at a subliminal level. I had to accept that later on in life. Like, hey, that was back when I was a kid. <laughs> I wanted to uh-huh. fight against that. Uh-huh. So I, uh-huh. I hear you. I hear you. Yes. So, all right. So then, how old were you? I'm gonna get bring us to 2006. So, how old were you, or how did you meet your wife, and how old how, take us from then to your son? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, my 
my precious wife, we, I was actually teaching a class. She was a student <laughs> in one of my classes. We got to know each other after class, of course. Uh, <laughs> was this a, was this, tell me this uh, was a college We class. developed a deep friendship. And we actually went on mission trips over to the uh, Republic of Moldova, huh. uh, which is one of the poorest countries in Europe. And we did some work there with the orphanages. She's a, dent- a doctor of dental surgery, a dentist. Mm-hmm. And, and I just came along for moral support and did some speaking at some of the colleges and universities there and I just carried the equipment and helped inspire the kids while they were all waiting in line to be seen by the, uh, by the doctors. Kind of like uh-huh. doctors and boarders, but it was called Little Samaritan Mission. That's where we got uh-huh. to know each other. Uh, I hear some music. I have a feeling that that is, let me look at the time. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that is telling us that we need to take a break. We will, okay. uh, we will come back to this when we return. And my guest is Dr. Kaldun Swice, obviously very interesting life so far, <laughs> um, metaphysically as well as uh, in the physical life. And um, we will cont- return with him when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with my guest, Dr. Kaldun Swice. He's an author, lecturer, author of three books, lectures around the country and, and other countries. Um, he has lectured at universities including Oxford, Berkeley, Cambridge, and University College London, as well as places in the United States. Um, he 
we were before the break we were following his life and his and the development of his faith and um, his uh, I don't know what to call it, Doctor Swice, like. Uh, mm-hmm. Your, I said uh, your log line, your logo, what do you call logically faithful examining the belief? I guess it's your mantra, logically, or how you describe yourself, logically faithful examining the beliefs that drive us. So let's go back to, we, were, we talked about your, your experience as a 14-year-old on the verge of suicide and um, feeling God answering your, your question um, you know, to show himself as if he exists, and then the radio went on, and indeed, and it was a spiritual program, and indeed that uh, was a sign, and then you started really attending <laughs> attending church regularly, not just on the holidays. And let's take, take us from there to the loss of your son in September of 2006. Uh, sure. So we, uh, well, I, as I mentioned, I met my wife uh, uh, 2000, around 2000 or so, a little bit before, yeah, before that. It was the 2003 oh, yes. we married. I wanted to mention, right, I wanted to mention that, that uh, uh, Dr. Swice met his wife when he was teaching a college class. He was not a child predator, and they did not start <laughs> dating until after she was no longer his student, just to clarify. Yeah, that, that. nice to clarify that. There, <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, we had our uh, first, uh, my my wife, yeah, she became pregnant in 2006, and we, um, we were really looking forward to uh, having this boy, this child, into our home, into our life, into our world. It was an incredible experience that most people who went through it can understand what I mean with buying the new crib, preparing the household, etc. So we went in for the ultrasound to have the, um, the regular checkup, and the ultrasound technician's face became dark as she was doing the normal procedure with a sonogram. I've read about different circumstances where these, this is common, where people see this, um, and the procedure is to get the doctor, and she left the room. Mm. My wife looked at me, Luciana looked at me, and said, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. The doctor came in, looked over the paperwork, the charts, and said, we've been looking this over, we saw this, we wanted to confirm it. We have to tell you that you're... you're he said the fetus is incompatible with life. Mm. And I noticed he used the term fetus, not baby. Uh-huh. Um, it is, we can discuss the question of the morality of abortion in another discussion, but, and the certain terminologies we use to justify certain things that we want done. Uh-huh. Uh, they change the entire mindset. Just the terms we use change our mindset. Yes. Uh, we told him we would not do that. That's, <laughs> that, that's, we considered that murder. We're not going that route. Although God is grace and goodness is deeper than anything that we can do. And for anybody who has gone through that, there is grace available. There is healing available from that. Uh, I'm not saying that's the worst thing there is, but it, it, was, it was a yes, process that uh, was difficult Yes, just let me interject. I actually am pro-choice. <laughs> just, for, just for my listeners to know there are two sides, two, two views of this, but, but mm-hmm. go on. But that was very... You and your wife decided you anyway. that you were going to continue the pregnancy naturally. Yeah. Is that yeah, what well, you're saying? Yeah, well, it was difficult because, because we did believe that life begins at conception and we were, it, was, it was a prior belief system that helped us move forward. But it was difficult because, ah, wow, talk about news. It, it cut us to our core. Yes. Um, and my wife is in the medical profession, and she knows that you have to take science and medicine seriously. People are not just saying this for ideological purposes. There are actually some doctors actually looking out for you. Yes. Um, 
It was, it was difficult to hear it, to say the least. We went for second, third, fourth. <laughs> How many opinions mm. we went to, we, we ran out of. Mm. Um, mo- most of them said the same thing. The genetic abnormalities between my genes and hers will produce mm. this uh, result. <sighs> we went to spiritual well. We, pay, uh, we prayed over the child. Um, we anointed her with oil. We, we asked God for healing. We asked him to come through for us. Um, we went through the whole pregnancy till nine months. We went through ster- steroid therapy. There was a small chance he may survive. But it was in that room. It was uh, Blue Sheets where she gave birth. And he, uh. he didn't make a sound when he came out uh. because he wasn't able to breathe. They quickly put a respirator on him and pumped some air into him and oxygen. Yeah. And we were just waiting in shock, hoping for a miracle, which didn't come. He, they unplugged him. They gave him to me. I, I held him. I felt his hand on my finger. Mm. I'll never forget that in my entire life if I live as long as God. And then he let go. Oh, and wow. He, and he was gone. It was uh, one of the most difficult periods, if not the most in my life. And my so, wife can testify. So you felt as though, so he was alive for, for a, a few moments? Yes, for a few minutes he was. He was born alive. Oh, wow. He just was not able to breathe on his own. Oh, how, well, first of all, what that shows such faith, you know, you and your wife, because that must have been so difficult for both of you, but especially for her, carrying the baby to term, you know, having it inside of her, knowing all of this. Without her strength in my life, I would not be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she's, a, she's one of the pillars in my life. It, it was one of the most difficult periods of my life. I felt uh, my entire, everything collapsed upon me. I really thought God would come through for us on a spiritual level, that he would be healed. And um, one of the things I bought in, even subliminally, even though I didn't buy it theologically, is that God, if we're good, if we're ethical, if you're nice, if you're good to your neighbors, if you pay your taxes, pay your tithes, good things will happen. Uh Bingo! No! Uh That's not what happens. Good people suffer. And sometimes God does not come through. And that time he did not, which was a wake-up call to me. Because um, I, I was serving God because I wanted him to do all these things for me like a cosmic jackpot in the sky. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't realize I was using him. And uh-huh. it took these types of suffering to wake me up, to say, wait a minute. It really revealed inside me a lot of my own uh, selfishness, my own lack of courage, my own uh, low self-esteem, my own in- inadequacies. Uh, this period was one of the darkest for me. It was um, a few weeks later that I was pouring coffee when it hit me that he was gone, that I will not be holding my son ever. And I just collapsed on the floor like a fetal position and wept. Mm-hmm. I had to come to terms with what I knew and what I experienced, and I didn't know how to bridge the gap at the time. Uh-huh. I knew theology, I knew philosophy, apologetics, but I, I didn't know how to apply it. All that stuff went out the window when, when, he, when he died in my hands. Because uh-huh. I didn't know how to apply what I was learning. Uh-huh. It, was a, it, was, it was a dark period. Especially, you know, um, what happened when you were 14 is especially important in light of this because it's like God 
saved you, you know, when you were 14, it's hard to, to believe that he wouldn't come through now with your son. Right. Yeah, and that was it. And that was the foundation for me, recognizing who God was when I was 14, but then recognizing the, um, how God works when I was uh, later on, when I'm in my, uh, my late 20s. I uh-huh. had to recognize that. And it, it took this type of experience to recognize that God is not there for me to use him like a, uh, a big belly hop in the sky where he just pull the lever and he'll give me what I want. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's not how spirituality, that's not how deep faith works. And, and yes, you know, I think Carol, a lot of people think of, <laughs> I think that's, you know, that is sort of uh, uh, the way a lot of people think of God. Um, that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people who don't believe in God that, that, um, when all of a sudden, like, like when 9-11 happened, you know, people who ha- hadn't believed in God, all of a sudden the churches were full and the synagogues were full and, you know, mm-hmm. people started, of course now, <laughs> now it's kind of, uh, again, people sort of lost that uh, commitment, a lot of people. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that's, that, same, that same necessity or that same desperation, you know, for, to, for protection um, people aren't feeling now, um, so there aren't as many people in churches and synagogues as there as there uh, came to be at that time. But anyhow, right. so continue. Yeah, and it makes us ask the question: Do we love God for what He gives us, or do we love Him for Himself? Yes, it, it goes back to the old story of Job in the in the uh, in the ancient scriptures, one of the oldest books in the Bible, where he was a good man who served God all his life, and, and the, the devil tempts Job to, by taking everything from him, all his wealth, his property, his land, and even his children, and the devil says. The only reason you serve God is because he gave you all these things. I'm going to take mm. them from you and prove that you're a fraud. Mm. I'll watch you spit in God's face when I do that. And Satan did take all these things from him. God allowed it. And did Job stand the test? Did he keep, was he faithful? And uh, the text says he was. But how many of us are, will be faithful when God does pull the rug from, out, from under us? How many of us will, you know, let's take the marriage example. Uh, we say we'll, uh, we'll be together for better or for worse, for sicker, for sickness and in health, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds good at the wedding altar, but does mm-hmm. it sound good in the hospital room when your spouse is diagnosed? When, he's, um, when he, lo- he goes into bankruptcy? How many people stick together through that? Yes. And that's when the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And, and uh, Nietzsche said that what doesn't kill a man will make him stronger. Mm-hmm. However, it could be in reverse. What doesn't kill a man can make him, can destroy him and make him cruel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and you know this well, that hurt people end up hurting other people. Yes. Yeah. When you realize you're hurt and life is not fair to you and God's not fair to you, you end up not being fair to other people around you and treating them with misery because you haven't dealt with that own pain yourself. You haven't allowed yourself time to grieve. And that is one of the important lessons I learned. I, I, when you go through deep suffering... You need to allow yourself time to grieve, time to release the tears, the time to uh, uh, find healing. And sometimes you need people around you to do that. It's one of the reasons we're not made to be alone. Yes, absolutely. So how did you get from lying on the floor in a fetal position to what you do now as far as teaching people, um, you know, how to still maintain that belief in God and how uh, 
that that is what will get you through the hard times. Tell us about that. Right. Okay. So I had to come back to what I originally learned and start applying it to my own life. That the center of my faith, the center of my religion, the center of my life is God. And that God that I'm talking about is a suffering God who was nailed to a Roman cross. Suffering is a centerpiece of the religion, centerpiece Uh of my faith. Mm -hmm. God is a God who suffers. He understands what suffering is. And it is his modus operandi, his P, his, his option, his task, his, um, his method of growing people, of shaping them. And you know, it's interesting, Dr. Carroll, um, the, the people that we know in our lives who are the deepest, most mature, full of wisdom, uh, I can say this with, with conviction here, are probably uh-huh. the people who suffered the most. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because they learn a sense of humility, they learn to take life seriously, and they learn to, to understand what to not take seriously. And, what, and uh, some things we value way too much, and we need to understand these things are, are futile. They won't last. Oh, futile, excuse me. And, and, and I had to learn that for myself and to help inspire others to see that mm-hmm. when you go through trials, as it says in the scriptures, it is uh, the chiseling of God. It's the furnace God puts you through to burn away the selfishness, the anger, the, the things in you that are not godly, the character traits that are not holy. Those things get burned away in the furnace of suffering. If you allow God to heal you, you can come out brighter, stronger, better, and more productive than ever before. If you don't, if you don't, you'll come out darker, more inclusive, and worse than you've ever been. You have two choices in there as you're in that furnace. Okay, and how do you allow God to heal you? First, you submit yourself and recognize that you're not in control. (laughs) That life is not about your personal happiness. Life does not revolve around you. And that's some of the things we need to teach our children, right? But some of us adults (laughs) need to be reminded of that. And when when a 9-11, when a cataclysmic event happens in our lives, when when our child dies, when when we get diagnosed, when we lose a job, that's when we are shaking up. That's when we realize we never had control in the first place. Mm. Uh, that control was never ours. Trust. And the greatest philosophers, everyone from Immanuel Kant to Plato and others who will, will argue that true meaning in life is not found by looking and serving the person in the mirror. It's found in giving of your life to someone and something greater than yourself. That, those are some of the things that have helped me as I've gone through this. And getting up and helping others and, and, and inspiring and pouring my heart into helping them grow and get stronger and more powerful in their faith um, gets them to begin more productive and help others. And then the cycle continues as uh-huh. you grow and trust God through this and trust his hand as he guides you through it. And, and you know very well with, with the, the psychology, modern psychology and, and the study, it's originally psychology, the word is the study of the soul, which is the psyche, the word in Greek for psyche, soul. Mm-hmm. But modern psychology has shifted to the study of behavior. Or of the mind. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. there's different parts of it. But how can we go back to the study of the actual soul? And the question before us is, is there such a thing as a soul? Or is this some kind of mumbo-jumbo made up by the religious elite, everyone from the Buddhists to the Hindus to the Christians to the Jews, to help them survive through the darkness of life, like Sigmund yeah. Freud said. Uh-huh. He called it the wish-fulfillment argument. Um, we, life is so dark, so, so destitute. It, it, it ends in death and darkness and coldness. We can't deal with that. 
So what we do is we manufacture this pie-in-the-sky, make-believe father figure called God, and we believe in him, and we end up teaching that to our children. Mm-hmm. And that's how the myth of, of the God myth gets perpetuated throughout culture. Uh, that's according to Freud, of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, but, be careful. I, uh, <laughs> I worship the God of Freud. <laughs> um, I mean, and there's a lot of I mean, truth to totally it, though. Make, there's a lot of truth. Does, there's a lot of people. I mean, the more creative you are, the more educated you are, the more creative you can be about creating your own pie-in-the-sky type of illusion, delusion, to get you through the darkness of life. You can. Well, I mean, it does, of course, make sense. I mean, the two things, two ways of thinking about these things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. It does make sense that especially back in the day, (laughs) um, back many days, um, you know, that when when caveman and, I mean, you know, back when people, um, when people had to, uh, well, people didn't really understand things as, in as sophisticated a way as we like to think we understand it today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we needed that kind of protection, paternalistic, protective figure to believe in that to get us through the hard times in our life, whether they were whether it was wars or whether it was just interpersonal uh, violence or interpersonal meanness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it does totally make sense. That doesn't mean that. That that it also might not be true <laughs> that there mm-hmm. is uh, that there that God exists. Uh, I believe God exists. I'm Jewish. I um, uh-huh. I practice my religion, and um, but but I also can hold can can understand how it makes sense psychologically that we kind of need uh, to believe in a protective God, whichever right. religion. Yeah, I hear you, and it does make sense. People need that. They make sense of the world around them. We are, we are pattern-seeking creatures. Uh, we seek patterns even when they're not there. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, we try to find them and make sense of life with them. And that, that makes complete sense, yes. But, but the key is, if I see a pattern, does that mean the pattern is just something in my mind or may actually be there? When mm-hmm. I find design in nature, is that just a haphazard coincidence or was it actually designed? Um, mm-hmm. what, and that's the key here. If I'm looking through a forest and I see what maybe looks like a tiger, I don't have time to think about it. I got to run. <laughs> uh, my natural tendency is to survive. Yes, but whether there is or is not right a tiger, it's not a relevant to my survival. We to, and we have to run right now to take a break. I don't see any. Yeah. Well, a ti- I hear a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my guest is Dr. Khaldun Swice. Um, we're talking about being logically faithful. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Stay tuned, and we will be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? 
Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com welcome back to dr carol's couch if you have a question or comment for dr carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with Dr. Caldoun Swice. He is an author lecturer. He has written three books, uh, teaches, uh, he's an associate professor of philosophy, teaches philosophy, and has, uh, teaches people primarily from his own experience of suffering through the loss of his son and how that got him to understand um, the... You know how we how we can't, and I know I know I sometimes do this. I think we all. I I would be surprised if there was one person out there who didn't sometimes look at as you put it, God as a bellhop. You know, um, there or a good fairy, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there to to answer our wishes. Um, so let's talk about. You wrote an article. In, that was uh, published in Christianity Today called Seven Things Evil Is Not, What the Death of My Son Taught Me. And there were 8 million people who, um, I guess, clicked on your article. Um, so why, tell us about I'm really interested in that. What are the seven things evil is not? Well, it's, it's, thank you, Carol. Um, well, there's a difference here between suffering and evil. Let me clarify that as we get into the seven okay. things. Um, suffering, for example, would be like, let's say, let's say people are like tea, uh, tea bags. You put them in hot water and what, <laughs> what's in them comes out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, women so are suffering like brings out the things that are inside us that we've been hiding, <laughs> things that mm-hmm. we're, we're putting a barrier up around us. But suffering is not the same thing as evil. Mm-hmm. Cancer is suffering, but cancer is, not, is, is an evil, it's a suffering, but it's not the same thing as sin, per se, where we personally lay that blame upon the person. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, when we talk about evil, I, I, I'll mention quickly the seven. You can jump in to see if I could clarify some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, evil cannot exist unless there is a standard from which to call it evil. That would be the absolute standard, which would be God. Uh, secondarily, the problem of evil is not an illogical impossibility. There is a, a logical problem of evil that says God cannot exist if, if evil exists, and I'm mm-hmm. arguing that that's not the case. God can exist even in the world of horrendous evil, logically speaking. A good God, that okay. is. A third thing is God did not create evil because evil itself is a lack of a thing. It has no ontological status. It's like darkness. Darkness cannot exist without... Darkness is just the absence of light. Mm-hmm. 
Um, fourth, uh, not all evil is sin. It is a sin for a baby. It is evil for a baby boy to die, but it is not sin. It is not a morally culpable crime, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, fifth, um, not all suffering is evil. And I get into the, the, the issue there with athletes who put themselves through intense suffering to achieve a goal, a prize. Any student knows the suffering they have to pursue to go through a class to get uh, mm-hmm. the, the grade or the A. Uh, so mm-hmm. not all suffering is evil. Sometimes it's actually good for us. Uh, six, evil is not, if evil is not answered on the cross, and I'm arguing that the cross is distinctly different than all other religions and paradigms in the history of the world, the cross of Jesus. It actually answers the problem of evil in a different way and in a more astute way than any other uh, system. And finally, seven, evil is not someone else is a responsibility. It is ours. Say that last one again. Evil is not someone else's responsibility. Oh, uh-huh. It's on us to do something about it, not point a finger to someone else or, or the government or the church or the hospital. It's on me to do something about evil. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's very interesting, um, particularly, you know, in times that we live in now where that is a common question, like where, you know, of course, I, as the terrorist therapist, um, am, you know, absorbed since 9-11 in helping people cope with terrorism. And um, certainly, I'm sure you remember, uh, at 9-11, President Bush called terrorists evildoers. And and he isn't the only one. Terrorists are frequently called evil, evildoers. Now, how does this fit into your seven... um, well, seven things evil is not. Okay, so, I mean, would you say that terrorists are evil? Well, see, the, the problem is it's not all black and white now, is it? <laughs> the world, welcome to life, huh? Yeah. Not everything is black and white, right? Uh, but, but the problem is some things are. Walking into a church and executing over 25 people, including a 17-year-old, is evil. And a lot of us do not want to call it evil, but it is. And evil is, uh, is uh, a wickedness, a violation of what is good, true, and holy, and beautiful. That okay. is evil. Yeah. And one of the reasons, Carol, uh, Dr. Carol, we don't want to call it evil is because we don't want to appear intolerant. <laughs> but, but we yeah. appear in, don't want to appear intolerant when we sacrifice truth on the altar of tolerance. Mm. Uh, we have to be careful there, not to c- sacrifice our convictions on the altar of not offending somebody. Uh, People need to take off their emotional diapers and recognize that there are people who have different points of views around them and let speak your mind. Mm-hmm. One of the things is that killing children in a church, a 17-year-old, for example, a 17-month-old, is evil. Now, here's a problem with it philosophically. There cannot be evil unless there's a good. You yeah. cannot have a good in the universe unless you have a moral law that makes it that way. And you can't have that moral law unless there's a moral law maker that's transcendent and absolute. Uh-huh. So when we cut God off, when we decapitate God, we decapitate any notions of good and evil. So then, therefore, when I walk in and say, that was an evil act to a world that doesn't believe in evil, of course, I'm just speaking from my own personal preference. But if there is an absolute standard that that terrorist or that individual will be judged, then that was evil, and that person will be judged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Well, what about when people say, I mean, the typical thing that people would say, not just about terrorism, but like in general and things that, 
you know, all the various problems in life, um, in one's personal life or society or the world, um, there can't be a God. If there was a God, we wouldn't, like, what about, okay, um, economic problems? If there was a God, I wouldn't have lost my job and we wouldn't be poor. Uh, if there was a God, um, let's say the man wouldn't have walked into that church and killed all those people, or terrorists wouldn't kill people, or, uh, or my, my aunt wouldn't get cancer, or, you know, mm-hmm. all of these kinds of things. So there, and so pe- I'm sure people say this to you all the time. So there can't be a God, or he wouldn't let all these things exist. Mm-hmm. And that is a very common uh, response. The problem is what we need to do is dig deeper behind the response and question the presuppositions that the person is bringing forward. They are assuming there's such a thing as evil when they are questioning uh, an objective evil and saying this is that evil. But at the same time, they're denying any standard from which to judge it by, namely God, the highest standard there is. Uh, So their objection falls on on a uh, a non-foundational ground. They have no foundation from which to raise the question. Okay, well, let me change it a little bit. What if they say, um, I believe in a God, but um, how could God do this? Why did God do this? There is a God, but it must be a, you know, why is he treating me so unfavorably? I mean, it's kind of like the things that you were asking yourself when right. your son died. Why, why is he doing this to me? Especially, like, I've been good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. I've yeah, been good. I've been a good they're, they're powerful and they're legitimate at a lot of times. Uh, for example, God has blessed us with two other kids, which we actually... Um, uh, went through a period with that process is a whole story in itself. But when I take my, my son to the doctor and I have him go through this excruciating process of being uh, of a needle going into his body, into his bones, and he's asking, why, Daddy? And I'm trying to explain the, the, the patterns behind needles and the, the, the problem of viruses and bacteria. He doesn't understand. He's so small. Right. He just says, no, you're causing me pain. How could you who love me cause me so much pain? Right. But he doesn't realize that he has to go through this in order for him to heal and become better and stronger and develop an immune system. We don't realize the hand of God that's pulling us through the sufferings in our lives. It's it's like going through the gym. You need to suffer through the gym in order to build your muscles. You have to break down in order to build up. And we're trusting that the God who's doing this for us is a God that I believe in has a pierce in his wrist. It's a suffering God who allows us to suffer so we can become stronger, better, and wiser. Because those who don't go through that process are not. It's a trust factor. That's one of the reasons that's given for the process of going through the, the tunnel or the valley of the shadow of death that David talks about in Psalm, Psalm 50, 53. So, okay. So, and then what, though? Um, then, so after we go through this, all this suffering, and let's say we come to have a stronger appreciation for God or stronger belief in God, um, we still die, right? Mm-hmm. Do you believe, I mean, what do you believe happens when we die? Well, when we, see, we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the purpose of my life? Is it to be, is this life some kind of a cosmic a pet house where God has given us what we want at a constant basis? Or is he putting us through what we need to to become the people that we should be? Um, life is not just about my personal happiness. It's a lot deeper than that. It's significantly deeper than that. And after death is when a different life forms, a different world opens up. Shakespeare called it the undiscovered country. 
And people say, oh, we'll never know what happens after death. Well, you won't unless somebody comes back to tell us. And Christians believe that happens with Jesus who came back from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter, who did tell us what will happen after death. And it, it, it's, it's a, it was, when my father died a number of years ago, people told me, oh, he's in a better place. And I know they were well-meaning when they say that. But people don't just go up like a balloon when they die. Um, there's something that even in the, a lot of religious traditions believe called hell. There are some people who go that route. And those who are not cleansed by God and, and given a pure heart and have a renovation of the heart and purity do not enter that eternal paradise. They may go to a different place. And, okay, so you do believe in heaven and hell. You do believe we, we, you know, that the people who deserve it do get into heaven and there is a heaven. Absolutely. Okay. Which leads me to believe why I believe in the soul. The soul is one of the reasons I believe that. Could you expound on that? Uh, sure. Um, uh, so one of my students comes in my office a number a couple a few years ago. He tells me, Professor Swice, we're talking about all this philosophy stuff and these ideas, but none of these are physical. I don't believe anything that's not physical. Yeah. I told him, no, you don't believe that. He said, I do. I said, you really don't. He said, I do. I said, you huh? really don't. He said, explain. I said, sure. The very idea you have, I don't believe anything that's not physical, is itself not physical. This is called consciousness or thoughts. Those Mm. things aren't physical. And the best and most cutting-edge research in 2017 on the issue of consciousness Mm -hmm. has not been able to show that consciousness itself is part of the physical universe. It's not. It's not physical, but it's very much real. To deny Mm -hmm. consciousness is to deny your own experience. Mm -hmm. That is part of us, but it's not physically part of us. It's evidence that there's more to us than our bodies. And yeah. a lot of work in, in cognitive research and science has shown, and even science itself, the first law of thermodynamics, tells us that when energy never cha- uh, doesn't get destroyed, it just changes shape. It changes. Yes. That change is, is something that's inside us. It's something uh, non-physical, something immaterial, something long-lasting, and something that lives on after death. And of all the research in all the history of the world, you can't find almost no culture in the world has believed that death is the end, except the modern one. Hmm. Only our okay. culture today, we actually have people who are walking the streets who believe that they don't believe anything, mm-hmm. which is itself an absurdity, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't believe anything, but people actually believe that. And the fact of the matter is, on a deeper level, when you talk to people, they do believe in uh-huh. something deeper. Uh-huh. But on a superficial level, they'll tell you they don't, and they'll check none on the census for religion, of course, mm-hmm. because they have cut themselves off from any spiritual background mm-hmm. and nature. But there's a lot well, of reasons, and there's so well, much to well, dig wait, into. Wait, 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 Dr. Swice, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sorry to have to interrupt you, but I know that we're coming to the end of the show, and I want to be able to give out your website so mm-hmm. that people can find out more information from you and uh, buy your books and so on. Uh, and the, your website is logicallyfaithful.com, www.logicallyfaithful.com. That's correct. Yeah. Well, this has been a very um, much uh, <laughs> more interesting <laughs> experience. You, you've talked about so many interesting things and so much food for thought, regardless of what religion a person is. Uh, it really applies to all of us um, as far as... As far, especially you know, as far as uh, not, uh, as far as the hard times not being the time when you give up your faith in God. So thank you so much, Dr. Caldoun Swice, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, 
and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 